this is Deacon Mary, and I'm so glad you've tuned into the Grace Church Podcast. I think that because you tuned in, you will better understand your place in God's kingdom. At Grace Church, we are living out our ancient faith in modern times, and we believe that these next few minutes will draw you closer to Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at Grace, visit us at graceocala.org. I want to look at our first reading today, Genesis 22, so if you want to turn and look at it with me, that'd be great. I am curious, and this will take a little bit of boldness on your part, but if today was the first time that you ever heard that story in Genesis 22 about Abraham and Isaac, would you raise your hand? I'm really curious. Anybody heard it for the first time today? You did? Yeah? Back there, a couple folks. Did it bother anybody? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it is a crazy, crazy story. If you're not bothered, confused, upset by that story, then I don't think you're paying attention very much. You know, there are actually 20, maybe 25 stories in Scripture that sort of, when I read them, I'm like, really? What's happening here? Today's Genesis 22 is in my top three. That's how big this is for me. Now, We have been reading in Genesis in our lectionary readings for the last couple weeks, but if you missed or just to bring you up to speed to remind you, you can remember that a couple weeks ago we read here in church Genesis 17 and 18, and that's the segment where God comes to Abraham and his wife Sarah, and he tells them that he's going to give them a son. Now, maybe that's not super odd, except that Abraham is a hundred years old. And Sarah is 90. Neither believe it. Understandably, right? No fault there. So much so, they they think it's so ridiculous, they laugh about it. Until she's pregnant. And I kind of have wondered how that conversation went. She says, hey, Abe. Can you come in here a second and look at the pregnancy test? Because I think I see something. Now, Sarah, his wife, has a son, just as God says, and she names him Isaac. That's who we read about in today's reading. Now, if you had had a miracle son, and maybe some of your children are miraculous, you didn't expect them, the doctors didn't expect them to live, and yet they still did, you so treasure that child. But imagine the circumstances that are present in this story. It's remarkable. And so Isaac is going to be super important to Abraham and to Sarah. He's their first child. Long after they ever thought they would have any children whatsoever, they have a child. And that was actually last week's reading. He's very special. So long after they thought their childbearing years were behind them, not only that, they'd probably just given up on the idea of having their own children. You would after a while. You just let that dream go. 
Now they have not only a child, but they have a son. And I just want to make a very simple note here that in that day and age, a son was so important because it was the legal heir to the, the fortunes or whatever was remaining. That's how the lineage went on. Not only that, but that's how your family name went on. So legally, the livestock, the land, the family continues because a son is born. And in all of that, God has says, yes, I'm going to give this special kid to you. And he does. Which brings us to today. A very confusing passage of scripture. First three words. Genesis 22, verse 1. Hopefully you read them. If not, read them with me right now. It's very simple. God tested Abraham. Well, you've been reading the story lately. Everything Abraham's been going through is one giant test. From the very beginning when God came to Abraham and said, Hey, I'm going to make you a father of many, of many people, of many nations. I'm going to take you out. You're just going to follow me from your home right now to this promised land. He tested Abraham. Then on the way, they go to, this, they go to cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. Got a little dicey, a little racy, the modern-day Las Vegas. Uh, that didn't go so well. They left. Then they run into some scary kings. Abraham panics. He gives his wife to the kings. That gets a little weird. Thankfully, the kings give the wife back. They're wandering all over the place. Abraham never asked for directions. Yes, God is testing Abraham. No question about it. Until today. Wow. This is a test. So if you're looking at the scriptures with an authentic eye, like Abraham and Sarah are real people, I hope that you're asking today, why? Why is God testing Abraham again? Enough, right? I mean, a hundred years of tests, seriously. When is God going to let up? Now, I, I, I think the answer is hopefully never. But I'll get to that in a second. So here, God is testing Abraham again. But, good news, right? Abraham's older. He's wiser. This will be easy. I don't know. Because here's the test. Take the boy, your only boy, your only child you ever had, probably the only boy you ever will have, and go to that mountain over there, and it says, offer him there as a burnt offering. pause. Think for a second about the person or persons who you trust most in this world. Just think about that person, if it's a, whoever that person is. Think about who it is that you trust the most. Is it your spouse? Is it your parents? Perhaps your siblings? Maybe it's your pastor. <laughs> As I was Thinking about this question about who I actually trusted the most and what that looked like for me and who I really put my trust in on a regular basis, I came up with an, uh, a, a unique answer for me at least. I've decided that the, peop- the person that I trust the most is an airplane pilot. That's who I trust the most because I don't know them. Matter of fact, when I get on the plane now today, you don't even get to see your a- airplane pilot. The door's closed. They're locked away. I know nothing about this person, male, female. I don't know if uh, they uh, did well in school. I don't even know if they went to school. They don't show me licenses. 
I don't know how many planes they've flown. I don't know if they had a fight with their husband and wife today and they're a little upset. The only thing I know is that hopefully somebody somewhere gave them some tests and they passed those tests that now allow them to take me up to 30 or 30, 35,000 feet and then safely bring me back down. And for this privilege of trust, I've had to pay a couple hundred bucks to another company I don't know. I'm glad they even let me on the plane because I don't know where that money goes. All of this to me felt like a lot of serious, serious trust. Because, again, this pilot who has my life in their hands, for all the things they've done, for what is affecting that day, I know none of it. I just get on this plane fairly casually, honestly, and I sometimes even go to sleep. Now that's trust. But honestly, it's trust that I want you to take away today is my trust isn't just blind. My trust is actually based on experience. Experience. Because I've flown several times before, and every time I get on the plane, even if I don't know the male or female, I make it back. I know. I read the papers. I see the news like you do. There are crashes, things do go awry, but by and large, flying is an incredibly safe way to travel. And so I have come, because of my experience, to trust airplane pilots. And that trust is well-founded. It is built on experience. So whoever you picked, your spouse, your parents, your siblings, me, you either trust them or you don't trust somebody from that simple experience, reasons of trust, or reasons not to trust them. And that's why you do what you do. And so we're back in Genesis 22. God tested Abraham. Abraham agrees. Why? He had experience with God. He trusted God because he had lots of experience with God. And so he had reason to say, understand this. This is the most crazy thing you've ever asked me to do, but I can trust you. So look at the story. They head out. They begin to head over to Mount Moriah. Now, it's a three-day journey to this mountain. And i got to imagine that as they're traveling, there is some conflict going on, though we don't read about it in the story. Of one hand, Abraham knowing, I need and I'm supposed to kill my son. And on the other hand, this is the son that God gave me. But he said, I'm supposed to kill my boy. And this is the same God who's always protected me. He wants me to kill Isaac. My laughter. But this God does seem to know everything. Back and forth we go. And so they travel. Three days, two nights. I've got to imagine those nights were pretty sleepless. Not comfortable. Maybe Abraham thought this would be over quickly. Maybe he thought he would just go out to God and say, you know what? I appreciate all you've done in the past, but I'm not going to do this. This is insane. But he doesn't do that, does he? He trusts because of his experience. And so they get to the mountain and they leave their traveling group behind. God does not speak. They find some wood, and Isaac is carrying it. 
that's got to be a little crazy. God says nothing. As they're walking on, Isaac begins to feel or see or sense something's amiss here. And so he says, hey, Dad, um, where's the sacrifice? He trusts his dad. He has every reason to trust his dad. You've got to imagine that Abraham probably doted on his son, right? The only boy. And Abraham's only words to him were, God will provide a sacrifice. And still, no God. They get to the place they're supposed to be. They build the altar together that they're supposed to use. They take the wood off Isaac's back. They lay it on the altar. And then, to me, probably the most poignant part of the story, Abraham reaches into his pocket and he pulls out some rope. And he binds his son. He ties him up. Isaac doesn't speak. Maybe because he's crying. Maybe because he's so afraid. This is his dad. He's always trusted him. Who, why, what is going on here? Still no God. And so he stretches out his son on the hard wood of this altar. And he raises up the knife to inflict the mortal wound. He will do this. He knows God. He's experienced God. He trusts God. And God speaks. Do you see that? God speaks. He says, don't touch the boy. Don't hurt him in any way. He says to Abraham, you trust me. When he says, you fear me, you trust me. Same idea. And I know it. Now you know it. Now, brothers and sisters, it's so critical to understand this because people misunderstand the story all the time. This was not God testing Abraham to see if Abraham actually had faith, if, if Abraham actually trusted God. God, because he's God, already knew that Abraham trusted him. Do you know that? It's critical. You know who didn't know? Abraham. Abraham did not know how much he trusted God. And so they have this experience for Abraham. And probably pay for some counseling for Isaac later. Now, recently I heard a preacher put it this way. Because as we think about God, this needs to factor into the God that we understand here. Because this story conflicts with a lot of the versions of God that we have assumed in our head. And this is how one preacher put it. Sometimes we like to believe in a bodyguard God. That is, a God who's not supposed to let anything bad happen to us. But then it does. And we think, all right, bodyguard God, where are you? Sometimes we believe in the on-demand God. We love our on-demand world, from our TV to our food. The on-demand God is the one who responds to our fair and reasonable requests that are unselfish because we want them to happen right now. They're good things, God, so just on-demand, do what I'm asking. Sometimes we think of God as a boyfriend or girlfriend God, that he needs to show up, and when he shows up, I feel, I sense something. He's always right there looking to spoon me. And then sometimes he isn't, and we wonder, well, what happened? Or maybe you have come to believe in the guilt God. That is this God who wants to control and manipulate us through guilt and fear, and that's how we experience God. 
But here's the thing. Here's what I love about Scripture. Here's what I love about Genesis 22. None of those gods exist. The only real God is right here in the Scriptures. They, those other gods never really existed. They were never real. They were always false. And I'll show you how. The bodyguard God, who's always showing up to protect you. Well, he didn't show up to protect Isaac in this story. He came for Abraham. That's what it says in verse 1. God tested Abraham. It doesn't say God tested Isaac. So there's nobody. No on-demand God either that our reasonable, fair requests, when they go silent, we get so angry at God. Look at Abraham. Look what happens here. He wasn't on demand. He needed God to speak lots of chances before that. He was silent until Abraham was ready. How about that boyfriend God? Nope. There was no sense of feeling or presence of God in this story. And yet we think we need to feel him all the time. And the guilt God? No. God was not controlling Abraham through fear. In fact, I would say it is exactly the opposite of that. And so if that's what you're seeing, I think you need to reread this scripture. Because Abraham needed to know that he trusted God again through experience. And God gave him that opportunity. Not for the very purpose that Abraham wouldn't be afraid. So that Abraham wouldn't be controlled by guilt or the love of something else anymore. Those other gods that someone else told you about, those false gods, it's time to let them die. Because here's the real God, Genesis 22, where he stops Abraham from killing his only son. He doesn't want or need Isaac as a sacrifice. But I hope you recognize that when it came to God's only son, Jesus Christ, he allowed that sacrifice to happen. He allowed his only son to be killed by us so that we might know forgiveness, love, sacrifice through the hard wood of the cross. He spared Isaac. He did not spare himself. That's the real God that I want you to see today. A God who sacrifices and loves us so that we can really know who he is, so that we can kill those false gods and we can trust him yet again. This is the experience that I want you to enter into today. This is the real God that I want you to know. This is who Abraham knew. When you know that God, you will, like Abraham, say, the Lord is my provision. Do you want that? That's the only question I got for day. Do you want that? Are you ready for that God? The God who puts you to the test your whole life, not so that he's sadistic and manipulating you, but so that you can yet again and again and again say, you are so good. I hope that's the God you want more than all those other ones. So let's pray. Father, I ask for your forgiveness first for these false gods that we've created. And I ask that you would use today and your word as a chance to uh, end those gods in our head. 
Forgive us for the ways that we want you to act when we want you to act. Forgive us for the ways that we expect you to be our boyfriend or protect us from stuff. Instead, God, help us to, through these experiences that we have in life, trust you again and again and again. Lord, you trust us, and I often don't know why. Help us to have these moments where we can know that you are so very, very good. And Lord, for anyone here today who has not put their trust in you yet, I pray that today would be that day that they would admit and confess their sin and believe in you as their Lord. That they would stop trying to make you in some other image, some other God, but let you be you, just like you are in Genesis 22. Because you are good. You are better than we could possibly imagine. And I pray that we would accept that God today. In your name we pray. Amen. We are so glad you joined us on our podcast today. We hope that you will take what you've heard and share it with your community. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, find us on Facebook, on Instagram, or online at graceocala.org. Go in peace.